I think one of the great evidences for the existence of God is our need of music. Music speaks a unique language of the soul unlike anything else. The music of the people speaks to the soul in a way that confronts and comforts, disturbs and encourages, and often inspires our spirits. Through the lyrics and music of folk songs, we have felt the gentle breeze of the Holy Spirit of God whispering into our hearts. Today in this radio and internet broadcast service, I'd like us to think about the message of God's grace as it is communicated through the songs we know and love. Today we will consider a folk song of the church. Get your Bibles ready and open your hearts and minds. Now is a time for worship. I hope you are doing well. Maybe you are facing challenges, yet you are also aware of God's presence. Maybe you are home or somewhere else you feel safe and ready to hear and consider the message of grace. I call this nothing but grace because there is nothing more important than knowing the God of love and grace. No matter what you have done or what you've become, uh, you should always know that God loves you and His grace is for you. Welcome to our radio worship service. I'm Pastor Chuck McGathy from the historic First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina. We have been here since 1841, and our message has always been an open invitation to all to encounter the living God. This is a worship service for everyone. If you're new to this live broadcast today, we welcome you. I love folk songs, and I fear that we're losing the love of singing them. Maybe it is because they are considered corny or old-fashioned or passe, but whatever the reason, I believe these songs still speak to our hearts. The reason why is because these songs teach us something of our history, culture, and values, and sometimes they can even teach us important life lessons. Such is the case in the humorous folk standard, There's a Hole in the Bucket. If it has been a while since you have sung that song, or heaven forbid you have never heard of that song, let me tell you how it goes. It concerns two people, presumably pioneers living on the American frontier. This couple, who are most likely husband and wife, are named John and Liza. They live simply, without much luxury, and their resources are few. This folk song recalls a conversation between John and Liza. It begins with John's complaint. He tells her, there's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. Liza responds, well, fix it, dear John. And so the titanic matrimonial contest begins. John then asks Liza, with what shall I fix it? Liza answers with straw. A word of explanation is in order. You see, by twisting straw tightly and inserting it into the hole, the leak could be temporarily mended. But John asks a second question. How shall he cut the straw? With an axe, Liza, Liza answers. John persists, however, 
But the axe is too dull to cut the straw. Well, sharpen it, responds his wife. John has yet another question with what shall I sharpen it? His increasingly frustrated partner responds with a wet stone. And John tells her the stone is too dry. So she tells him to wet it. By now you have an idea of where this frustrating conversation is going. A picture of how our ideas and perspectives are so hard to communicate. John, upon being told by his wife to use water, points out that he has no way to fetch the water since there is a hole in the bucket. And the song ends and nothing gets done. This simple song is a remarkable metaphor for the church. You see, there are holes in our buckets. Rather than carry our leaky buckets, we choose to complain and wait for a more perfect solution that is someone else to come along who is not beleaguered by our inadequacies. But the straw is still uncut, the axe is not sharp, and the sharpening stone too dry for any work to be accomplished. And thus, we hold back on our Christian service because we are less than perfect, or because others with whom we must work are less than perfect. What is more is we are all inclined to do this because we all have leaky buckets. And if we follow our inclinations like John and Liza, in the end, we will go nowhere. In today's lesson from Scripture, Jesus encounters some people with holes in their buckets. Let's observe them as we read Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, and whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. It was a Saturday, the day Jesus healed a poor woman. That is important in this story because Saturday was the day of the week on which the Jewish Sabbath was honored. It was a day of rest. No work was to be done. Travel was limited. On the Sabbath, one was only to contemplate the majesty and mercy of God. The Sabbath day was distinctive in the land of Judah, the Sabbath day defined the Hebrew nation. It gave the Jews a unique religious identity. The Sabbath was sacred. The Sabbath was holy. Therefore, the Sabbath must be protected and enforced. The religious authorities enforced a complex matrix of Sabbath regulations that were actually laws 
for laws. In other words, the original commandment about the Sabbath decreed that on that day humanity should rest from work. In order to make that happen, hundreds of additional laws were added. These laws were very technical and precise. For instance, they limited the exact distance one could travel on the Sabbath day to a few feet. If upon walking, one was to even inadvertently drag a foot upon the ground, he would be in violation of the Sabbath. He would have violated one of the Sabbath protection laws because he was plowing. There were, in fact, hundreds of Sabbath protection laws such as these. As a matter of fact, only a limited number of individuals could be expected to know and enforce these Sabbath laws. One of those individuals is central in this story. His only identity is given as the ruler of the synagogue. That is, in itself, a remarkably interesting title. He was not called the shepherd or the leader of the people. He is the ruler the one who makes sure the rules are made clear and enforced. But there was, you see, a hole in his bucket. In trying to remember the rules, he had forgotten the people. Jesus made it clear that the intent of the original commandment was a positive statement, a statement of God's love for his creation. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is noted to have said the Sabbath was made for mankind and not mankind for the Sabbath. With his one sentence, along with acts of healing on the Sabbath day, Jesus set fire to the religious establishment in their attempt to keep their religion pure and their identity unstained by the pagan world. They had replaced God's compassion for his people with their rules. Their buckets were leaking all over the place and they desperately needed mending. Our buckets leak too. Our buckets leak when we forget that God loves us just as we are. Our buckets leak when we forget that He is on our side and knows our weaknesses. Our buckets leak when we forget that God knows when we are tired and when we are afraid and when we forget that He made us and urges us to rest and to not take on more than we are able. When we begin to view God as a harsh judge, who imposes strict rules upon us, not for our own good, but to satisfy his unrelenting and impossible demands, then we too are leaky buckets. A leaky bucket believer will fail to try anything new for fear they might get it wrong, for fear of failure, and so we create strict rules for ourselves and impose them on others. We paralyze ourselves, and if possible, we will paralyze others along with us. You can easily identify when this happens in a church. It usually begins with a spirit of criticism. Church members who act this way remind me of the timeless words of Theodore Roosevelt who said, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs, and comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. 
so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Now, none of this is meant to imply that keeping a personal Sabbath is not important. It is God's love which commands us to rest, so let us keep this in balance by hearing the words of one commentator who said, What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Christians today tend to treat the matter of holy observance casually. For most Christians today, the observance involves at best an hour of public worship each week. Outside that hour, we feel free to engage in work, recreation, and shopping. We would do well to recover a sense of holy time. Time to honor God. Being set free from the law does not set us free from responsibility. If the ruler of the synagogue erred by being too legalistic about the Sabbath, we are more likely to err by being too casual about the ways and times that we honor God. Please remember that our buckets can leak both through legalism and license. Even in a time of COVID-19 isolation, we still need to make time for God. We are called to be a disciplined people who view our religious practice through the lens of grace. Only as we do that will we be able to heft our leaky buckets, put our hands on the cracks, and carry the water of life to another thirsty soul. Of course, the other character in this story is the woman who prompted Jesus' act of love. She, too, had a leaky bucket, although hers leaked for an entirely different reason. Life had been unkind to her. Physically, she was stooped over. That could easily be seen. What we can imagine is that she was likewise stooped over with emotional and spiritual pain. She was forced by her condition to always look down. She could not look heavenward. She could not even look others in their eyes. Then Jesus calls her over, and he tells her that she is freed from her disability. That is an interesting word, freed, for it implies she has been in bondage. Her bucket leaked because of something or someone else. There are only a few options here. One is that God himself had caused her hardship. Another is that nature had randomly imposed the condition upon the woman. Yet another explanation is that the pervasive evil combining with her own psyche had bent the woman down. Jesus took the last option. Perhaps he knew something about the woman, maybe something troubling in her past, something he could not get over. She could not get over that bowed her body and soul, some evil event that crippled her spirit and her posture. Oh, there are a few of us today who can surely relate with this woman. Your soul, too, has been bent double by the pain of sin. It might be your sin. It might be the sin committed against you by another, but it does not matter. You feel it every day. It aches all the time. And even though you want to walk upright and with pride, something, some voice deep down inside incessantly whispers, you are not worthy. You are not loved. You are ugly. You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You could not be loved by anyone. Not even God loves you. You are a leaky bucket. But your bucket can still carry some water and you can still move. And like the woman in the story, Jesus calls you to come just as you are. Come and he will touch you. And you will stand straight again 
and see his face. And when you do, you will rejoice and he will rejoice and your friends will rejoice as well. You see, you are important even with your imperfections and your leaks, God treasures you and will use you in his service. Perhaps you find your bucket leaking because you are hopelessly serving a demanding, unrelenting, and imposing God who can never be pleased. Maybe it is because you feel complete shame before God today and that keeps your bucket dry. Listen to me. I want you to know God loves you. He cares for every aspect of your life and he is constantly calling your name. He wants to touch you and make you whole. He has time for you. Your bucket can be filled to overflowing. Last week we heard Sylvia play a great American song. The lyrics were written by Julia Ward Howe, the battle hymn of the Republic eventually became one of the rallying anthems of the anti-slavery forces of the mid-19th century. Julia was a passionate abolitionist. She wanted slavery ended. Charles Sumner was a senator from Massachusetts who also opposed slavery. Howe once asked Sumner to take up the cause of a man who needed his help. Sumner answered, Julia, I've become so busy I can no longer concern myself with individuals. Howe replied, Charles, that is quite remarkable. Even God hasn't reached that stage yet. Julia Howe was right. God concerns himself with individuals. God concerns himself with you. And God concerns himself with me. Once when I was a college student, I had agreed to a certain volunteer position in the church where I was a member. I was doing a fairly good job in that position of responsibility. Others were noticing it too. But then something began to eat away at me. As it did, I began to feel less and less worthy. Guilt over my sin crippled me. My bucket was leaking badly. Then I did something I have regretted ever since. I quit. All I could see were my flaws I could not see how God was using me despite my imperfections. And while I wish I could say that I quickly got over it and got back to work, the truth is I did not. God had to work on me a bit. Yet what I learned through that experience has helped me ever since. I learned that he even uses leaky buckets. After all, that's all God has with which to work. I like the sentiments of one preacher who notes there is no shortage of human need. If we will open our eyes and hearts, we will find overwhelming human needs in our own community. Single parents, latchkey kids, abused children, children who need tutoring, parents of new infants, sick people, people in the hospital, older people who cannot drive, people who have experienced a recent death in the family. The list goes on and on. The problem is that the need is so great we are overwhelmed by need so great that we cannot begin to meet it all. But Christ does not call us to meet it all. He simply calls us to carry our buckets as best we can so we can wet the stone, to sharpen the axe, and the axe can cut the straw that will mend our leaks and heal the brokenness. None of us can do it all. In fact, if we look at the amount of suffering in the world, we're likely to get depressed and not do anything. 
But God doesn't expect us to do it all. He calls us to do what we can. In some cases, that will be a little. In other cases, it will be a lot. With God's help, it will be enough. Give some thought to what you could do for others. Pray about it this week. Could you give money or canned goods or call up a friend who needs a listening ear? All these are important. So what if there's a hole in your bucket? We will see it mended if we submerge ourselves in God's well of grace and share what we can with a thirsty, sinful world. In the end, this is what makes the church of Jesus the house of grace. Because we believe God will meet us right where we are and heal us and use us. So let us go onward, our leaky bucket brigade, and be busy about our Lord's business. Let us pray. Lord, take us with all our flaws, our rigidness, our critical natures, our devastations, and our failures, and use us. Help us to focus less upon our inadequacies or the inadequacies of others and instead learn to trust you. Convince us of your great love and acceptance. Use us to carry the living water to another soul who is tortured by the flames of sin. In your name we ask this. Amen. The choir of First Baptist Church has been a real blessing in my life. And I know in the lives of so many others. We all long for the day when the threat of pandemic is no longer upon us and we may once again sing together safely in public worship. Until that day, we are fortunate that Jane and Sylvia are finding creative ways every week to connect us with faith songs. This week, Jane has selected a performance of Pepper Choplin's One Song as sung by the choir. The words will move you. They go, when God's people are wounded by holy war and brother fights brother in the name of the Lord, I find myself praying that it won't be too long till we all join together in one song. Hear now the choir sing one song.
I think now I'd like to invite you into a time of guided prayer. I know perhaps you do too, just how hard it is to truly understand prayer. I really think it matters that we pray. But prayer is so much more than a shopping list of things we need from God. Prayer is a connection with that which we cannot quite express. It is openness and honesty before the God of love. It is listening to that still, small voice of the Spirit and knowing that somehow we are part of God's great kingdom plan. So now I ask you to pause a moment and think about all that is going on in our world. Think a moment about the ones whose lives have been cut short by the coronavirus. Think a moment about the thousands of families who have lost loved ones. Pause a moment and think of all those who have lost jobs. Consider the recent graduates with no idea where to go or what to do. Lift a prayer for the health care worker who is afraid to see their own families for fear of spreading the virus onto them. Think about the business owner who is struggling to pay his bills and must let some workers go. Ponder for a moment the ones who struggle with depression made only worse by the imposed isolation. Imagine the dying alone and afraid. Lord, we lift these prayers to you. Lord, we need you. Hear our prayers. Now think about those who feel the great stresses of life. Pray for those who fear violence, who feel hatred directed at them. Lift a word toward heaven for the one who must try and enforce the law at a time of anger and suspicion. Pray for the honest politician trying his or her best to be a virtuous leader of a people in crisis. Pray for the soldier, sailor, airman, and Marines serving in dangerous, faraway places who must wonder if they are supported at home. Pray for peace between us. Pray for healing. Pray for a common vision of love and tolerance in our diverse union. Lord, we lift these prayers to you. Lord, we need you. Hear our prayers. Now add a prayer of those things that are personal to you. It may be something no one else knows. God knows, though. He knows every prayer, even before we utter it. Bring these two. God is ready to meet with you right now. Lord, we lift these prayers to you. Lord, we need you. Hear our prayers. And we have so much to pray for. We share prayers today as a people intent on seeing his will done, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Today, will you pray with me as together we listen to a folk song that strikes a serious yet hopeful tone. It speaks of life in terms of a journey. As you hear it, lift your prayers to God who hears our every prayer. The song is familiar, Poor Wayfaring Stranger, sung by Joe Slovic. I am a poor wayfaring stranger. I'm traveling through this world of war. 
We pray in Jesus' name, according to his promise and following his way. Amen. 
If you have the companion Bible study written by Dr. Cartledge in Nurturing Faith Journal and Bible Study, I will be exploring the lesson entitled, The World Needs the Word. If you do not have a copy of Nurturing Faith, write me at cpmcgathy, that's cpmcgathy, at yahoo.com, and I will get you one. If you are in Madison, you can pick up a copy at the office door of the church Monday through Thursday mornings. Today's lesson is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, and concluding with verses 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet such a person has no root but endures only for a little while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Our Bible study today is one of the parables of Jesus that is both easy to understand and incredibly difficult to comprehend at the same time. It is usually just referred to as the parable of the sower and the seed. It is a story meant as a comparison. It attempts to answer the question why it is that some people who hear the same story respond in such different ways. It ponders why does the gospel not take hold in every heart. I quote Tony Cartledge as he explores. The theme of rejection, the religious leaders of the day opposed Jesus outright, and while curious crowds came out to hear the new teacher, few chose to follow him on the path of discipleship. When the Gospel of Matthew was written many years later, rejection was still a problem. Faithful followers had been spreading the gospel for 50 years or more, but the response was disappointing. Converts were few, especially among the Jews. Jesus and the author of Matthew used the parable in part to reassure faithful followers that their work was not in vain. As they sowed the seed of the gospel, they would not always get a hoped-for response. 
The parable of Jesus is obvious about what it means, but still it leaves the reader pondering why it is that some people, perhaps even the majority of people on whom the good seed of the gospel falls, do not receive it. Upon some, the seed never takes root. On others, it is stolen away by birds. And still others are choked out by competing plants. Some seed fell upon the good soil, meaning receptive hearts, and there it flourished, producing ultimately, that word ultimately is intentionally chosen, ultimately producing a bountiful harvest. Now all of that tells us what happens. It does not explain why. I think this is where we are called into the story by Jesus to examine our own story first and figure out if we have been that good soil and if not, to ask ourselves if we are perhaps now ready to be that good soil for the gospel seed. Jesus was a Jewish teacher. He used the references of the Hebrew faith to offer to his disciples lessons about God. We have the Old Testament, but Jesus had and used more resources from his faith heritage. One of these may have included the apocryphal book of Jubilees. The apocryphal Jewish books were thought to have been written between 200 B.C. and 400 A.D. Outside of Protestantism, some Christian churches include some or all of these within their version of the Old Testament. The book of Jubilees speaks of a mean-spirited and thieving angel called Mastema, who tests and tempts humans. Jubilees describes him this way. And the prince Mastema sent ravens and birds to devour the seed which was sown in the land in order to destroy the land and rob the children of men of their labors. Before they could plow the seed, the ravens picked it from the surface of the ground birds that devour the seed which was sown in the land, that does have a familiar ring to it. Another possible connection with Rabbi Jesus's Jewish heritage is the connection of the story with the Shema. The Shema found in Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 5 begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Three ways one must receive the Lord are listed. All your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Swedish New Testament scholar Brigger Gerhardsen has argued that the parable of the sower in the soils intentionally reflects the Shema. He writes, first, the rejection of the seed by the hard ground contradicted the command to love God with all one's heart. Similarly, the shallow ground that did not sustain growth in times of persecution or trouble could indicate an unwillingness to love God with all the soul. Finally, weed-filled soil that choked out the good seed with worldly cares and selfish attitudes pointed to a failure to love God with all one's might. Each of these historical tie-ins to this parable of Jesus explain what he is describing but leave us pondering where we are. Are we the hard path, the bird stolen, the weed-choked seed? Or are we the fortunate seed that fell into the good earth and produced a bountiful crop? When I was a high school student, I had several friends who all considered a life of full-time Christian service and ministry. 
We spent time together, got to know one another well. I did not think I was the best of the lot. In fact, I was proud to just be in the company of these Christian brothers, each of whom I thought had more to offer the ministry than I did. They brimmed with potential. They were tapped out as future leaders of the church by their pastors. One of the fellows was a handsome and charismatic fellow. Another was a great intellect. Another was a naturally gifted speaker. Once I graduated from high school, I moved to another state and did not return for two years. When I came back for a visit, I checked in on my old gang. What I found was disappointing. None of them, not a single one, was still headed toward a life of ministry. I found the handsome one enjoying the company of the young ladies far too much to study for ministry. The intellectual had blown his mind with drugs. When I spoke with him, he could barely construct a coherent sentence. And the great speaker abandoned preaching for the study of the law. He had even changed his mind about his faith so much that he was now known as the campus skeptic. What happened? I wondered, to the good seed that had fallen on each of us. I mean to tell this without any judgment or hint of condemnation. Though I do not know the end of their stories, I still have hope that they found a way to serve God through their lives. Dr. Cartledge puts it better than me when he writes, As we look to our own makeup, we also look outward. We are not to give up on others whose hearts are hard, for they may yet be softened by the reins of repentance. We cannot ignore those who quickly fall away, but must help them to transplant their lives and find room for deep roots. We dare not turn away from persons whose lives are overgrown with temporal concerns, but continue reminding them of eternal matters. Nevertheless, I was surprised and full of wonder that will never leave me. The wonder that asks, why me? I mean, no one observing our little group would have picked me to be the good soil, maybe the okay soil, but I was not the best soil. I had problems. There were things I had to overcome. I struggled with feelings of inferiority. I, I made passing grades, but I was no one's A student. I was never chosen for the debate team or other speaking opportunities, though I tried with all my might, yet somehow... The seed took deep root in my life. I did become stronger through my weaknesses. I have even wondered if those weaknesses did not in some way help me. I knew I needed God if I was going to make it. I could not count on ingrained ability. Douglas R.A. Hare explains the role of parables in this way. The secrets of the kingdom are not taught but revealed. They are presented in the veiled speech of parables to the crowds who are unable to appropriate them and are explained to the disciples who, because of their commitment to following Jesus, are capable of comprehension. Perhaps then the understanding of this parable cannot be intellectual processes as much as it is a life experience. I fall back on that off-stated commentary by the great preacher Peter Marshall, who continually affirmed, there are some things you can't explain, you know. In the end, it all comes down to grace. I know, I know, I say that a lot, but I want you to know I really mean it. Only grace gets us over the impossible mountains of life. What I did not know then, but I think I know now, is that God really wants us to understand who He is. He sent Jesus so that we might learn who He is and then follow Him. If we will dare do that, He will show us a better way to be. 
This is what the Bible means by salvation. This is grace, nothing but grace. This has been God's plan all along. But we can never find it if we are somehow counting on our own goodness or our own intellect or even our own charm. The point is we need Jesus. We need to learn from him. We need to follow him, even if that path leads us over some difficult terrain. At the time I was going through that formative experience in high school, I met and became friends with a talented guitarist and songwriter named Pat Terry. His sincere faith expressed through his music has blessed my life through the years. He helped me focus on Jesus as the author and completer of my faith. Though we were both young, the gospel seed fell on good soil. Pat went on to become a successful songwriter. I ran into him again several years ago at a cooperative Baptist fellowship conference. In fact, he is also mentioned in this edition of Nurturing Faith. I told him I wanted him to know that now in our 60s, we each have a good story to tell, and Pat is keeping the faith. He gets Jesus right. I'd like to play a song he wrote that puts it plainly. In his song, he shows what the seed that falls into the good soil becomes. What does it mean to be good soil? I think it means knowing how much we need the Jesus described in the Bible. What we don't need is the Jesus who we invent and at times is more acceptable. We need the real Jesus to be the good soil. Here is Pat Terry singing, If Jesus Was Like Me. If Jesus was like me It seemed like an alright guy Till the first time he heals someone Or turns some water into wine then he talked too much and acts way too proud. They'd say, there goes that Jesus again, running off his mind. Well, how sad would that be if Jesus was like me? If Jesus was like me, he'd be all merciful to me. Till the first time you made like Judas and kissed him on the cheek. Then he'd act all hurt and point out all your sins. And when you asked, would he forgive you? He'd say, well, that all depends. How hopeless would we all be if Jesus was like me? If Jesus was like me, he'd mean well, but he might not follow through when you needed him to. If Jesus was like Till the first time they nailed him to 
a cross for all your sin Then he pulled the shades Take your number off his phone And let you pound all night on heaven's gate While he pretends he isn't home How lost would we all Thank you for taking this time. Thank you for taking this time to listen, to hear, to think, and to pray. May the God of love bless you and bring you hope. If today God has moved in your heart, I'd love to hear from you. Please write me at cpmcgathy, that's cpmcgathy, at yahoo.com. You can find out more about this ministry, including how to financially support this worship broadcast by going to www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison, that's all spelled out, .org. Let us know how to support you, and if you would like to receive from us a free copy of Nurturing Faith Journal and Bible Study, we love you and we look forward to hearing from you this week. For our benediction today, Sylvia on piano and Jane on keyboard will play that great hymn written by Walter C. Smith, Immortal Invisible, a hymn which, has, which is based on the benediction of St. Paul recorded in 1 Timothy 1, 16 and 17, which says, For that very reason I receive mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.